this is an was an edifying um, interview, folks, and we learned a lot as you well as well. But with that note, welcome to SMEO Decoded, um, where we explore the potential that technology has to improve community outcomes. Uh, we are really excited today because we are going to be joined in conversation with the Reverend Jeff James, who is the Executive Director of Restore Hope. So we're going to be hearing a lot about him, his work, his life. Um, we'll go on some rabbit trails. There's some really awesome ones that were happening right before we recorded. It's probably for the best. It's episode one. It is episode one. This is our very first official episode. We so, tried to get Jeff to jump out of a plane. We did. And he very politely and diplomatically refused. And there's cussing. Biblical. Biblical cussing. cussing. <laughs> so we're really excited to share this with you all. So we are based in Tulsa. And, um, you know, many of our listeners are from Tulsa. Many of our um, you know, friends and clients and partners have, have been here, but several haven't. And um, there are some interesting perceptions of Tulsa um, that yeah, may, or may like, not be accurate. Like, like a lot of people, I would think, think of Tulsa, like you think of oil. Yes, right. right. Um, which is definitely influenced Tulsa, you know, historically. And there's, I know, a lot of focus on that today. But there's a lot of interesting things I think people don't realize about Tulsa. For example, we have strong early childhood programming right. in Tulsa and in Oklahoma in general. Um, Tulsa is one of the was ranked very high on a place for small businesses to grow and is ranked highly as a place to live because of the, the amount of disposable income that you can have here. Um, so entrepreneurialism is is also a big deal in Tulsa. You know, we were we were prepping for this this podcast for our first official episode, and you know, I was talking with Aaron and Fatima, and one of the things that they brought up, and I'm not an aficionado of our like national sitcom Friends. Like, do you watch Friends? I I, I feel like I'm gonna offend a lot of people, but no, I've I've never really watched. Have you Friends. ever seen any episode? I've seen outtakes on YouTube, if that counts. Oh, you've seen outtakes on YouTube, but you haven't seen a full episode. I mean, I think there's just shows that show up like that. I think like it's in our true, cultural know. consciousness, right? That's why it's like, like the I national about sitcom. It. It's I think Courtney Cox like was on it, right? Monica. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was she like I think yeah. She was also what else was she in? Yeah. Oh, it was Bruce Springsteen. It wasn't Aerosmith. She's not <laughs> the what? like there was an Aerosmith video. Like what was uh, it? what was that show? That is a space movie, right? Was oh, an Aerosmith yeah, yeah. like did the no, and um, I just had like the scene of we are horrible pop like, culture. It's <laughs> a good thing that's not what this so topic many people is. right now are like naming oh, all like, these things. Like, how do you not I'm know so this? It was a Bruce Willis one, yeah, right, with the asteroid. Bruce that was coming towards, was it Bruce wasn't Willis? Bruce Willis? I think so. Yes, yeah. but that's a different actress. Oh no, <laughs> 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 Uh Well, after having thoroughly embarrassed ourselves and just shown our cards, we are not good at trivia. At least when it comes to pop culture, so don't put us on your team. Uh, we Armageddon. Armageddon. <laughs> Five minutes That's later, what it was. Armageddon yeah. was one of the things we're talking about. And right, the, she's like yeah. walking out of right, the, right, the right. flames, like her, yeah, exactly, you know, and yes. stuff. So it was just like the iconic scene. Okay, let me yeah. bring it back to Tulsa because okay. we have, you know, we're based here in Tulsa, um, and you know, we're at this really awesome pivotal moment for Tulsa too, where there's a lot of investment. We're bringing new talent. Um, there's some yeah. really concerted and awesome efforts coming into Tulsa to help build up a tech hub, and we are obviously as a, you know social enterprise that is anchored on technology. We're really energized by that. But there are these sort of national perceptions on what it is, what Tulsa is, you know. Ooh, there's, of course, tell. the... Well, okay, so I'm told that there's this episode of Friends where Chandler, 
I feel like you're that's one of the main the characters. Yeah. yeah, is he the kind he's of one of the friends? Wait, he's not the dopey guy. That's Joey, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, got but it. also, yeah, I mean Ross is kind of dopey okay. too, right? I think there's so a lot of. I'm gonna not. I don't want to not make any. I don't want to make any enemies here when we're talking about friends. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was really bad. <laughs> it's not even funny. And so anyways, the whole point about this. So this is like at the end of the series, right? I think and Chandler is getting relocated to Tulsa. And he, at this point, is married to Monica. And he has to get her to like get excited to go with him, right? So he starts this whole conversation. He sits down. And he's like, so, you know how we've always wanted to take this trip to Paris? And she's like intrigued, right? And he's like, well, have you ever heard of the Paris of the Midwest? And she's like, no. And uh, so then that's like how he's trying to sell Tulsa is like the Paris of the Midwest. Nobody is it the Paris of the Midwest or the Paris of the Heartland? Well, I think in the episode it was the Paris of the Midwest, but I did some Google sleuthing too afterwards just because I had to familiarize myself with the episode. And like, I don't, there's so many different Paris's of the Midwest. But there's so, as you know, being born in Texas, there's a Paris, Texas. Right. Okay. So I feel like there's a lot of Paris of the Plains. (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> it's not I don't know how Parisian it is but I will say that as a pretty much lifelong Tulsa right I mean you lived in other places but you grew up from at least high school on. yeah like do you ever refer to no okay that's what not even remotely now I yeah. will say I am really happy about certain Parisian inspired bakeries that are located way too close to our office. So shout out to Antoinette's. I was there this morning. Antoinette's. Love Antoinette's. it. Antoinette's. Yes. Love it. So good. Um, so what else is Parisian about Tulsa, in your opinion? I mean, I think that's probably it. There's a cell tower that looks vaguely like the, <laughs> the Eiffel Tower, <laughs> I think. That's probably, I mean, what do you think? Um, okay, when I think of Paris, I think of, you know, waterways, of um, people not liking to speak speak English, of smoking, um, intellectual. These are all of the terrible. But we have always been cool, and we are getting cooler. And a big part of that is the (laughs) transition, right? So all this investment in tech, and we're really proud, like I said earlier, you know, to be a part of this and to be, um, you know, to have planted our roots here and to um, be growing alongside with many other organizations and bringing in new talent um, one of the things that is really cool about Tulsa is this investment in technology. And we're going to talk with Jeff, uh, our guest. Uh, you'll get to hear this great interview. And he is kind of an unexpected technology evangelist. And yes, I use that intentionally. He is <laughs> a reverend. He is a pastor. So sorry, it was a little too easy for that. Um, and, and it's just amazing like what he has done with the power of technology too. So I'm really excited for y'all to hear that. Um, but I do think it would be great to do a couple things. One, it wouldn't be an episode of a semio decoded without Mio, who, if you haven't met yet, Mio is our AI powered mascot friend. They and are- here is where I say that <laughs> it is ethically important to note that all of Mio's responses are generated from a natural language model. So none of these are... What does that mean? It means that they're all machine generated. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know the difference between when a human is involved in a process or generating text or context around a decision that's being made versus when an algorithm or a model is. And why is that important? Because a lot of, in today's society, a lot of what we do is driven by algorithms or machine learning models or, or technology in some sense. And there can be inherent bias in these. 
Um, and we can, in an attempt to make the world a better place, actually uh, systemically advance the wrong types of things and decisions that we would want to make or stereotypes and yeah. things like that. So the natural language model that we use, we spend a lot of time and energy on making sure that um, we consider those things and how we use it and how it shows up in this episode. So yeah. hasn't been trained on friends. Why don't you ask Mio the first question? All right. Okay. So um, Mio, we fed you some information about Jeff James. And now that you know a little bit of information about Jeff, I have a few questions for you. I want to start with, is there anything you can think of that I can say to Jeff in the podcast to make him drop an F-bomb? No, I don't think so. Jeff seems like a pretty level-headed guy. <laughs> there you go, folks. Nothing this episode is likely to make Jeff really lose his Jeff is whole patience. Time. I think Mio is just a realist. <laughs> I think so. Um, we have another one. Uh, Mio, what do you think is the coolest fact that you learned about Jeff? The coolest fact I learned about Jeff is that he was almost not here at all due to a childhood cancer diagnosis. If it wasn't for a quick-thinking nurse and a tonsillectomy, he might not have survived. That's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. So for those of you who don't know, um, we're going to have a couple of links in the show notes as well, so you can check it out. But um, that is a true story and uh, was featured in an article in the Tulsa World. Uh, Jeff, incidentally, in 2020 was Tulsa of the Year. So we'll make sure that if you're curious, you can jump in and take a look. Thanks, Mia. Yeah. Well, so one thing that we're going to talk about with Jeff, too, is, um, you know, we've worked with Jeff in a number of capacities, and um, pretty much anything that we do here at Asimio, somehow we have done that with Jeff, which is pretty amazing and um, a testament to our partnership together. But, you know, one of the very cool things about Tulsa, too, is that we are um, really leading in many ways and partnering with other communities and folks who are leading in the privacy-enhancing technology space. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. So I thought it might be beneficial for those who aren't super familiar with that technology if we could give them a little bit of a primer, maybe. And can you just talk about what it is and how we use it and, and why we've chosen to work with that technology? Absolutely. So privacy-enhancing technology really is understood best in the context of of why privacy is important in the work we do. When we're looking at a community and we're thinking about community indicators, challenges, um, decisions that we wanna make about resource allocation and services, then linking together personally identifiable information like a name or a birth date is helpful to know which individuals are across different data sets that are receiving services from different organizations, be it a school system, a hospital, or justice involvement. And in that, there's a real risk to sharing your personal information, right? There could be trust issues, there could be regulatory challenges or like good constraints, like regulatory constraints such as HIPAA or FERPA. So what privacy enhancing technology enables is for you to answer questions about individuals across different data sets without sharing the really risky personally identifiable information, which is sometimes called PII. Yeah, fantastic. And um, can you give an example of like a specific kind of project? Like you don't have to talk about a specific project that we've done, but. Certainly. So for example, if you're looking in a community and you're trying to predict the impact that evictions may have on something like uh, a child or student's test scores, or perhaps it is um, the impact of, that food insecurity or incarceration may have on a family and their ability to advance certain specific outcomes, either educational outcomes or health outcomes, 
then those are all situations where you need to bring together data in order to answer questions that can help improve the social indicators in the community. Right, right. And I think something too that's you know very important to us organizationally is this concept of science and story, yeah. and you know right. where the data is is really important and should absolutely be factored into decision making. It's not the only thing that should be considered. And I just you know I'd love for you to share a little bit about our philosophy there and why we think about both sides. Absolutely, I think it's not only um, not the only thing that should be considered, but not the primary thing. Because data is really a reflection of our society and who we are as individuals. And so the story, the, the challenges that an individual is facing, right? Well, and we'll hear a little bit about from Jeff on that. And that really, that context is the context within which we should sit the analysis. Because one of the things that sometimes gets you know, misconstrued in our space is that data is objective. And data is not objective. There's always a subjective foundation upon which it sits. And that's a really important, and specifically when we're thinking about uh, things in the social impact space. Yeah, here's a, here's a really great story about a little girl that they were helping. Yeah. So uh, I don't want to give it away, but it's really fantastic. Um, that's great. I think, and you know, that's just another reason why you know, we're excited to see Tulsa be on the map, you know, um, and just seeing that increased adoption and finding ways to improve. There's a lot of opportunity for healing in Tulsa. We talked about that quite a bit. Um, and this is just one tool, I think, that can provide an alternative to, to other ways of, um, you know, looking at data in the community. Absolutely. Tulsa has a rich history of, of, of interesting and poignant stories, right? Everything from families that have escaped persecution from overseas through immigrant and refugee uh, stories to the Trail of Tears and the story of the different tribes and indigenous peoples to the race massacre and the story of Black Wall Street, Killers of the Flower Moon. Really, this whole region is filled with terrible and and poignant stories of, of tragedy and also community healing. Yeah which is why we're so excited to introduce yeah. you to Jeff James. Um, he is one of the helpers. You know, you've heard that quote yeah. from, I think it's Mr. Rogers' mom, right? You know, look for the helpers in these really nasty situations. He's absolutely one of those folks. So Mr. Rogers' mom, if you, if you, I thought you couldn't get more wholesome than <laughs> Mr. Rogers, but Mr. Mr. Rogers' mom, mom yeah. is probably the thing. <laughs> so with that, we are, let's dive into the interview with Jeff. Jeff, thank you. I'm brought to you by Green Guy. No. <laughs> or Red Bull, which yes, is or, out or of sight, out of things. mind. So we can now start over. <laughs> we can start. There is so much good content and yes. all of that. Okay, Jeff, thank you for taking some time to meet with us. We are super excited to talk with you. And I think it's important to note, too, that this is not our first podcast with you. No. no but it's, not. it's my it's first no. podcast. Yeah. You you two have done we this went together. National. We well, have possibly that's right. international. Well, yeah. We might, we have, there's probably maybe one person internationally yeah, that would listen to this. <laughs> I called the border. And it's Thinking, yeah, yeah, hey, maybe. I feel like where, I, where I met my wife. It, it was Wait, really? What? True story. I, I didn't... met my wife in Estonia. Okay, you have to. She's from here. Well, actually Houston, then here, but we were on a mission trip to Estonia to uh, to a, go to a camp that, that was there. Um, she, so again, I would, had started to take Russian. She was taking Russian at the time too, but we just happened to go. Um, at the same time, and I sat next to her on the plane, and I fell in love immediately. Took took her some convincing because 
but yeah, yeah. But we met in Estonia. So like the random country that you just picked happens to be like extremely close to my heart. But this I've also is, done a lot of research on it. So it we could talk about Estonian place. politics for a while. And Estonia has one of the most advanced technology infrastructures in the entire world. They do. Yeah, actually. Um, the multi, multi-party computation. Right. Secure multi-party computation. Which which every, which every, 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 every uh-huh. non-profit director knows what that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why not? Like, you, how could you not know what secure multi-party? Like, come on. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> this is why one of the reasons why we love working with you too is just because you're you're so like crazy well you know not these are not i have other words that you, you put in here too but uh you know just forward thinking and just you know willing to use technology and that's a big part of what we want to do with this podcast too is just highlighting you know how yeah. technology is used for social good yeah and so that's pretty awesome Well, it's a tool. I mean, you know, we've all, we've used tools forever, um, both, you know, in the nonprofit world and beyond to get better. I mean, we're, we're, I think we're better now because we have screwdrivers and hammers and those sorts of things. And usually I'm not good at using those things, but usually we're better at that. And so why wouldn't we use the tools that are out there to get better? I mean, we could keep doing things the same way forever, um, but we'll never get better. We'll never actually even make a dent in the problems, let alone solve them. And so why not use that? And and one of the things that that I kind of learned, figured out early on was we were helping people, but we weren't necessarily helping the right, the people who needed the, the help the most. They were the right people, right. but they didn't necessarily need the help the most. And so we weren't necessarily solving the problem. We were We were helping people but that wasn't necessarily solving the problem. So we had to ask, okay, how do we, how do we know who we should help? Who's, who's the, the best candidate for our help? Um, and then how do we do that? And, and technology's helped us to do that. Yeah, there's a, there's a few ways that we've worked with you and the oh, yeah. organizations that you're a part of. And it's one of the things that I love when we talk nationally about innovation. Yeah. And people ask, well, what are best practices in technology development and innovation? And I'm, one of the things that I talk about is find those that are willing to start yeah. and start small yeah. and then iterate. And yeah. so we, cause we've worked with you and your organizations on case management system, yeah. on analytics projects, yeah. on projects to help, you know, uh, us learn like the right, who the right people at the right time. To Absolutely. Be yeah. And you've helped us advance technology now that's being used nationally to improve communities. It's incredible. Yeah. It, it, it was just, which is really fun because all we're trying to do is make sure we're helping like the local people here, and you and I have talked about this in the past, when we, when we focus on the person next to us, um, that has wide-ranging effects. I mean, the theological response to that is when we, when we love our neighbor, it actually can transform the world, but it starts with the neighbor uh, and when we start treating each other like that. And so I think, I, I love that, that we've been able to do that. Our initial goal was how do we help how do we best help people right here in Tulsa? Right. Um, but I love that there are people in Chicago that are being helped, that there are people all over the country. Um, and maybe, uh, how crazy would it be? Maybe this secure multi-party computation that we've done here could actually help Estonia. Like go back, yeah. even though like maybe the technology came from there. But I, that's we are in such a global world now that that's possible. But it starts with, and especially for us, it starts with that neighbor. How do we best help, you know, Harley who needs a backpack right. um, and is in pre-K? That's a fun story, by the way. Well, what is it? Yeah. She came last year to get school supplies. And usually parents don't bring their kids, but she happened She happened to come with her, her parent. I don't know if it was mom or dad, but um, she came with her parent to get school supplies. And um, most of the time, the school supplies K through 12 come in a box. 
And it's not as much fun. The pre-K though comes in a backpack um, because A, their supplies fit in the backpack, but also like it's fun. And so uh, we gave Harley her backpack and I'm in another room at this point. Um, but I hear this little girl running down the hall like, I love my new backpack. Thank you for my new pre-K supplies. I Purple is my favorite color. Um, and just the joy in that. I mean, when you step back and think about it, this is a, a young girl who is... A, starting her educational, like, career, right? She's starting her future. Um, She now, she she came into that space maybe not having all the the tools that she needed for that future, coming from a place at least of crisis, whether that crisis is short-term or long-term, her parents didn't have enough, her parent didn't have enough to buy those school supplies. So came into us as a neighbor with need and... You know, if you play all of that need out, the statistics are pretty clear about what happens with lower educational attainment, all of those things. She came in with that, but left not only with the tools to break the cycle of poverty potentially, or to, to at the very least kind of move from that crisis situation, she also left with joy and with hope. And like, that's, that's huge. Now, the, the, like the fun kind of other aspect that gets back to our conversation is that her data then became part of assist. Okay. Because we put that data in from a, for a reporting perspective and that way we can, we can continue to, to help her and her family. But that way, if her, if she or her family go to Catholic charities or broken arrow neighbors or Owasso community resources, it's easier on them when they go in and have a future need it's easier on the agency as they kind of have to do the data entry. But long-term, we, we now have data that includes Harley as a way to, so, to show the community, this is the level of need. These are the amount of kids that need school supplies. This is the background work that they come from. And potentially, we can use that data to balance it against other organizations using spotlight or the secure multi-party computation that we've worked with. So I, I would assume that that story about Harley, that Harley is part of these projects that we've worked on that we might talk about in the abstract, but Harley isn't an abstract person. She's now more joyful, like young, like probably now getting ready to go into kindergarten, um, but to continue her educational career to hopefully not just help her, but help our whole community as she gains that education and those opportunities. So like, it's one thing to talk about it. Like it, it, it's incredible. The need was obvious for us. Like we need to learn these things so that we can help. Um, but, but we've been able to use that to, to make a, a difference, I think, not just in the, in the abstract, but for Harley. Yeah. Well, we talk about science and story all the time, and that is yeah. the perfect way to describe that of yeah. just, you know, yes, we're working with data, we're working, you know, with these numbers and trying to use that as one lens, but then it's the Harleys, you know, yeah. it's her story. And Yeah, and another thing that you highlight really well there is this dichotomy between care coordination and case management, right. serving an individual who's walking in at a crisis point, there's a need right now. Yep where technology can help you be more efficient and get you the information in real time. And then the other side of it, where you want to look at trends over time in the need across the community. One of the things that we've been incredibly grateful for is through the years for, I don't know, like 
six or seven years now, yeah. maybe we've worked with you on both of those. So, yeah. so for those listeners that don't know what Assist OK is, why don't you tell us a little bit about Assist OK? Yeah, so I kind of like set it up a little bit in in the conversation about Harley, but Assist OK, um, well, for for the first part, it was built. Um, to solve a, a larger community problem, which is there are a lot of organizations helping in our community and people going to different organizations. But before Assist OK, almost nobody was really sharing that data, especially in the food world. We would share kind of in the app, like zip code level data um, of, of kind of numbers with the food bank, but that's about it. Um, but so Harley and her family, you know, they would go to one food bank, food pantry, or one place to get school supplies. And they might go to another place to get clothes or another place to get to get um, to get food or whatever. Um, but none of us were communicating. None of us were sharing that information. And so Assist OK allowed us to, to bring a group together based on trust and based on some common values. And I really think Asimio helped us to to build that into as we're doing discovery about the technology. We're also we were also doing discovery about okay, what are some common values that, that these organizations have? And I think that was really important for us as we built that, because as we have grown and struggled through that growth, we, we've needed those things like trust and that common value of, okay, we're not going to use this technology to deny somebody care. We're going to use it to help. Um, and so Assist OK, the original kind of formation, what were three organizations coming together to share client and household level data and the three wins that I see with that is one, it is it's a win for for like Harley and her family that they only have to tell that story once. And so much of our life is waiting. And especially in the world of the nonprofit, um, so much of it is is waiting. And you've got to wait while the person like takes your data and puts it into a system. You've got to wait while the food is being put together. You've got to wait. And that that young child who had nothing to do with the need potentially of the parents. The parents quite possibly didn't have anything really to, to cause their need, but the young child certainly didn't. And so they're sitting there in what, you know, a lot of social service agencies, like kind of a dour, like depressing in a sense. We try not to do that, but like they're just sitting there waiting mommy, why are we here? Why are we waiting? Like all of those things that like, I think as a dad, like I want those kids to a, have a good, a good experience, but also get in and get out, like get back on with their lives. And if they have to go through that experience every single time, they're going to be waiting every single time. And so by getting their data into, a, into our system, into, into a more efficient system, they wait less. If they go to another place and their data is already in the system, they wait a lot less. And every other time they're good. Um, and so shrinking that weight for the family, for the clients was huge. And so that was the big first win. The second win is, so I noticed that so much of our energy was spent entering data. Mm. And data is, is good and it's important and we need it, but it's just a lot of time putting numbers in. And if we can just add a service to somebody who's already in the system, whether they started in our system or somebody else's system, that's a win, right? So we've saved time. That's, that's more efficient use of our donors' dollars um, that we've been able to do that. So that's the second big win. And you hit on the third big win, which is it's better for the community. It's better for the whole community. Not necessarily, because for the most part, we're not sharing that individual client or household level data with the larger community. That's where Spotlight comes in. It's been huge. 
Um, but we're able to use that data in kind of the, the larger sense to, to see community trends, to see community need, and then to aim community resources toward that need. Um, and we've been able to do that with Assist OK. In for all, we've, we've seen all of those wins. What we couldn't have seen were the, the larger wins that, that were to come and the consistent iteration of that. So that now, you know, Assist OK now, compared to the Assist OK that was first developed, you know, we, we, we could have, have joked about this kind of in that development, that kind of what we first got was a, a, a Corolla. Right. I think we're closer to a Tesla now. Yeah. Uh, we're closer to a place now where, and, and some of that is because of the pandemic. We had to learn like, okay, getting, having a long face-to-face -face conversation with somebody to get all of that story, not necessarily the best thing. What if we had a QR code we could scan and, and get, and their, get their data, their data, their, their information's already in the system. Okay, we can do that. That makes those drive-through food services a little bit easier. What if we use these other aspects like scheduling and other things to, to benefit our organizations um, to make it faster and, and add further wins? And so it started with three wins. They've been, they've piled up since then and, and not many losses. It's been a pretty great experience. Yeah, this is what when I talk about innovation and starting small, because it's the years down the road yeah. that you see the benefit and it feels like such an accomplishment when really it was just stacking a little win yeah. on top of a little win. Mm -hmm. I mean, the federal government came out this last year with an executive order speaking to exactly what you're talking about, reducing yeah. the time tax, yeah. because yeah. it's more of a tax that's mostly on, on those that have a high level of need right. than it is on those that don't, because every single minute is spent away from a job, away from yep. caring for family members. That's right. Exactly. I mean, especially most of those folks are hourly workers. Most of them don't have things like personal leave, sick leave, those kinds of things. And so when they take time to go get food for their family, they're often not getting paid. Um, potentially, they could lose their job for that. Right. Um, they need food to feed their family. And, they, and, and it just continues that crisis. So the faster that we can go through that, the faster we can help them. It's better for their, their, their soul, <laughs> um, but it's also better for their bottom line. So that's exactly right. And so that, that's, that's been a huge win. And I will say, like, having the Corolla was way better than like yelling out into the like wilderness and kind of like the walking that we were doing before that. So um, I don't say the Corolla, in a, in a, this is not brought to you by to Toyota in any way, um, uh, or nor is it a criticism of that. Um, but it, 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 it was, it's just to show that, that those iterations over time have been huge. Um, and what I say about spotlight. So, you know, entering into that kind of spotlight realm, um, that first use of spotlight, was it was a little harder to understand it was we it took some knowledge um and what i've seen with both with assist okay or restore hope and, and others going forward with that is after that first experience people are like okay i'm in like what's the next thing that we can be involved in what's the next group that we can be connected to because it was such a good experience and because the the information that we gained from it was so helpful Okay, so Jeff, you have done a ton in your time, more so than a lot of people. I mean, you are the executive director of Restore Hope. You are, I think, still the board president for Assist OK. Am, yeah. You are head baseball coach for a little league team. You are an Eagle Scout. You, I mean, you're 
active in your community in so, so many ways. In 2020, you were, you won Tulsa of the Year, which I think is fantastic. And at the time when that came out, I think the number was something like you through your work and with your amazing team at Restore Hope and many others who are participating, you'd helped get over 20 million into the community. That has almost tripled, <laughs> all, close to $60 million into the community to support rental assistance. Yeah. Okay, that's wild. That's a ton of amazing achievements. And we are so honored that you're even here just giving us this time. So my question for you is, you know, to be able to have that kind of impact on your community, what is the best and worst advice that you have gotten along the way that helps you do or not do the things you're doing? The best advice was from one of our board members at Restore Hope. And we were, we were contemplating whether we would take a million dollar grant. Um, and, and at that point, we, our, our annual budget was a million dollars. Um, when that had just happened, we had just crossed the million dollar mark. Um, and so to take a million dollar grant was, was huge. It also came with a lot of responsibility. Um, it was from a local funder. It, this wasn't from, um, a, a, a governmental agency. Um, and this, this board member said, if not us, who? Mm. And then she did this, this horrible thing that, you know, I'm a United Methodist pastor. In addition to those things that you listed, I'm also a United Methodist pastor. Um, she quoted the book of Esther. Um, and, and quoting the book of Esther has a couple of different things. One, um, it's in the Bible. So I, I, I kind of have to follow it as a pastor. It's like part of my job is to follow that. The other is my, my grandfather served in, in World War II. He served in Persia, um, which is now Iran. Um, but Esther... Um, Esther is buried there. And so he actually visited Esther's grave and not as a, a, a man of, of like tremendous, like sh public faith, but he always loved Esther. So when this board member quotes Esther to me, like there's this family history, there's this biblical thing. And the line from Esther is her, her uncle Mordecai says, perhaps you are here for such a time as this. Mm. And so the best advice that I would give to somebody is when those challenges come, look back at how you've been prepared for that moment. That all of those things that you mentioned, Eagle Scout, baseball coach, all of those things played a role in our ability to dramatically scale up. And I, and I should say, like much like as the baseball coach, I have very little to do with whether our team of 12-year-olds or 9-year-olds win the game, but it's a, it's a team effort. Obviously I, I play a role in that, but it takes all of us. And when I say all of us, obviously we have an incredible team at Restore Hope of people who are doing that, but it really goes beyond that. And one of the things that I've had to recognize, I say I've had to, I've been fortunate to recognize, uh, I, I'd say I had to because the stress of the of that experience, the stress of that 15,000% growth and, and spending $56 million um, has been a challenge. Um, and, it, and it has been painful. And, and so thinking that I had, thinking I could do it on my own, I mean, it was, it was obviously, it was extremely kind of the Tulsa world. And it was an honor to be named a Tulsa of the year as a baseball guy. I got to throw out the first pitch at the drillers game, which was, which was at once extremely cool, but also because of the COVID moment, and because of what, what it was, it felt very lonely. Now, looking back at it, if I thought that I had to do all of those things, then it would have all failed. Like none, none of what we have done is because I did those things. We did those things together, but not just our amazing team at Restore Hope. 
it was a larger team. Asimio was part of that larger team. Um, people who we had never connected with before were part of that larger team. And it really took all of us. And so while it was, it's been great that, that I've had the opportunity to receive that recognition, like, honestly, like you, you all should have been out on that mound with me and our, you know, extremely like growing staff, all of them should have been out there with me and all of the people who support restore hope, not even for rent, but, but give, you know, a hundred dollars or there's, there's this woman who is incarcerated, who sends a dollar 50 every month. Like she contributed to that moment. And so it's, so I'd say the, the, the first advice, the best advice that I would, would say is, is look at how you're, maybe it's twofold. So it's, this is not, it's not one piece of advice, but look at how you've been prepared for this and look who's around you. So I think that's probably the best advice is, is if not, if not, you, if not us, who, and, and when you say us, like who is the us that's, that's around you? So that's the, probably the best advice. The worst advice, um, uh, I wish I could That's see what went through his story right there. I know that. <laughs> oh, Looking yeah. off into the middle distance. So, I think not the, that, not that, not that. That's appropriate. The, the worst advice might be from the, the, the other contractor who said, Oh, you can trust us. Yeah, that, that, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. Like, honestly, I don't know. Probably uh, not a technology contractor. It was a technology contractor, <laughs> not, not a Symbio. Uh, not a Symbio. So, um, so I would say, I, I would say, like, know who you can trust is good advice. Um, trusting, trusting people because they say they can do it or, um, uh, is not, I think that, that has been, that has been the learning experience that we've had is that, that sometimes kind of those other accolades and other kind of like, oh, we've done this well, isn't necessarily the best kind of signal for what's going to happen next. Um, the, so that's, I, that I may wanna, be the worst advice is trust us. We'll help you. <laughs> um, I, I know like buyer beware, especially with technology. Um, I, I want to like just share something with you because when you talk about this community of us, yeah. um, I really love that concept, yeah. you know, right, right before the, that we started filming, you noticed there were some strange letters on my shirt yeah. you, and you happened to Can be able to read yeah. and speak Russian. So you recognized <laughs> and you saw my Choo-choo. name. <laughs> <laughs> the only tech podcast that will have like a reverend and a tech entrepreneur speaking Russian. On it. <laughs> and, and, and what it says on it, because we were meeting today and um, this is a t-shirt that we screen printed over 10 years ago when I was in Kazakhstan, the Peace Corps. And yeah. it says, Volkov Bayasa Lesni Hadi. It says if you're afraid of wolves, don't go in the forest. Yeah. And there is a certain amount of bravery and courage that's needed to like yeah. step into the world to give back and take yeah. risks and be vulnerable. Yeah. And that emanates, that bravery emanates out. And and as you know, because you 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 preach this, is you would get back so much more than you give. Oh, yeah. And that you you receive so many things. And one of the things that I constantly feel grateful for is where we're located, who we serve. Yeah. The work that we do means that our team members, when they see someone in need, they come to us. We come right. to each other. And just yesterday, I got a Slack message from one of our engineers and they said, hey, you know, do you have time to talk? 
you have just five minutes real quick. And now this is senior engineer. Usually if it's being played up to me, I'm like, it's right. kind of like a, oh no yeah. moment. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm not cussing because you're a rapper. Okay. Just so Paul, you know. Paul does, honestly, okay. in Philippians, he uses a word called scubalon. Look it up. It's, it's Greek, okay. not well, Russian, well, but I yeah. I said, oh, scubalon. Yeah, perfect for you. Like, it, yeah. Good I was like, there's something probably on fire. What's going on? Yeah. So I get on a quick Slack huddle with him. He said, listen, a really close friend of ours, just got noticed, has to be out of their house mm-hmm. in a few hours. What do they do? We have no idea. And because of the work that the community of us does that you have, there was a ton of resources. I was able to like, this is not unfortunately an isolated incident. Probably once a month, someone just reaches out. So just, I really want to highlight that community of us and just the gratitude of you playing that part in that. Well, and I think it matters. So I, 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 I'm honored to to be a part of that us Uh, for, for one thing, I think theologically, like we, at no point can we ever like think of ourselves only as an individual. Like we're not, we're not created to be individuals. We're created to be in community for one thing. And so I, rather than go too deep into that, cause I am a preacher and we could, it could be a while. Um, but we're not, we're not created, but it also matters where we're located. So, and that there's, there's deep theological point too, but I think that's where I want to highlight. You, you can be part of that community of us because uh, of what a simio has done and and how you've located um so just like from a physical perspective you are located not far from from some serious high tech like corporations companies and other things that are happening you know university of tulsa with cybersecurity all of those other things like there there's a lot of 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 high tech corporate work that's happening not far from the doors of a simio. There's also a lot of need not far from the doors. And what's fascinating to me and getting back to this community of us is the thing that I would have, if you, if you didn't call me, but had you called me, the thing that I would have told you is go like a few doors down to what Iron Gate, but at Iron Gate every afternoon, there is a community of us that was set up because of the pandemic, but is going to continue called the social services hub where restore hope staff and housing solutions staff and legal aid staff and X, Y, Z, you know, enter. I, it's been a minute since I've been over there, but a lot of different organizations are there because it's right across the street from where the eviction court happens. And so they're there to say, okay, you have a need now let's figure out how we can help meet that need. And it may not be that Restore Hope can meet that need. It may be that Housing Solutions needs to meet that need or the day center needs to meet that need or legal aid needs to meet that need. And that community of us can be there because it takes all of us. And, and it, takes, it takes Restore Hope and legal aid. But, you know, one of those things that's bound us together is there, Restore Hope and legal aid and others have been part of the same shared technology projects. We've been part of a lot of those things. And so, but you've located, you have, you've made that choice to be located in that intersection and making that choice to be located in that intersection plays profound. You've chosen to go into the forest. Yeah. You've chosen to go in among the wolves. I want to rip off that because literally on, on, we're on a corner and on our door is, it says, at the corner of software and social good. Yeah. Says yep. at yeah. The intersection. The intersection. It says yeah. literally <laughs> on our corner. It says 
at the intersection of software and social good. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I have an idea. Okay. I have a question for you because this is our first and, and we've had a few firsts together. Yes. Okay. Um, have you ever been skydiving? I've never been skydiving. I am afraid of heights. Really? Have yeah. you ever been Rocky Mountain climbing? Not necessarily climbing. Because ever, again, the the fear of heights. So my, my parents, we used to go to Colorado every summer and they would four wheel and I would freak out in the back and they would con, con, try to convince themselves that the babies were switched. But, okay. So you've never been skydiving. No. And would I you like ever go? Is a thing. Would you ever go? Could we convince you to go? I don't think so. I think, think it would so. be difficult. Yeah. Okay. What if, what if we would, could we, if we pay for it? No, I don't think so. Don't think I appreciate so. it. There are a lot of things that I what that if, I would do with you know that I would be part of that. <laughs> no, that's okay. So so here's the deal. So uh, well, a good example. Actually, it's a fascinating example as I think about it. So um, in the midst of the highest stress that I had during the this pandemic growth response, I went to Utah with my friends. Um, I was among friends. One of them is a therapist, which was like kind of the perfect person to be with me in that moment. Uh, but we went to Zion and we went to Angel's Landing. And so Angel's Landing is about as close as, as I could come to Rocky Mountain climbing or skydiving. Yeah. I chose not to go up actually onto the Angel's Landing hike, but stayed kind of at the base of it and then ended up doing a, a separate hike. Um, but just looking over the edge gave me a little bit too much. But I will say that in that moment at a larger scale i was afraid um and i could have chosen just to stay at the base of that mountain in the valley where it was more comfortable but i couldn't see anything instead i at least went to that other spot so i would be happy to ride in the plane with you um but not jump out of it no so, sorry okay, so why don't we take what would have been the cost of us both going skydiving and donate it to Resort Health? Well, that would be amazing. And you talked about a community of us and you talked about the tech community. Yeah. So I have a friend who we have a little um, internet spat with. So there's a company that's going to be opening up here close by named Auru. Okay. okay. They're virtual reality and AR. Okay. And I texted this friend of mine earlier and said, hey, are you free in an hour or so? I have a quick question for you, okay? And so let's call him up right now so we can get him to add to it. Sure. Let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm gonna like, try it. Now, I, I like this a lot more than the thought of skydiving. So. <laughs> I know, I'm like, was that All a right, Tim okay. McGraw reference to it, it, it earlier? So have you been skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing? Have you written 2.7 seconds on Bull Name Fu Manchu? No, so Tim McGraw's dad, famous baseball pitcher. Hey, Shy, how's it going? Good. Only dying of stress a little. And why is that? Because because uh, you guys have a big grand opening coming up, right? We have a pre-opening party. Don't you dare call it a grand opening. We're not ready. For <laughs> well, I have to. I do have to fair warn you that I have you on speakerphone, and uh, and we are recording. So don't say anything that you wouldn't like to be used against you in a court of law. Uh, <laughs> actually, what's the right word? So no, that's a different word. Oh. We were actually Scubalon is a different four-letter word, but in, in Greek, yeah. We were talking it's about the right? word, but not Scubalon. We have a whole like part of this podcast about cuss words, so thank you for that. Um, so here's the question for you, because since we have a little um, a little internet love going back and forth, a little nerd battle, and so I have a challenge for you. So we're sitting here with Reverend Jeff James, who is the leader of a local nonprofit called Restore Hope. 
Okay. And we tried to get Jeff to go skydiving with us. Not going to happen. He said, no way, not going to happen. So I said, instead, could we donate to his organization? And we were talking about the community of us. And he mentioned all the great technology companies around here earlier in a part of the segment. And I was like, you know what? Let's call up Aru right now. And so my question for you is we're going to donate the cost of skydiving to Restore Hope. And are you in on it? Yeah. Awesome. That's incredible. Thank you. So the good news, so hi, hi, Shai, I'm Jeff. I get to be the executive director of Restore Hope. The good news is that, you know, we're a charity navigator, four star and, and platinum with guide star. So you know that your the resources are going to go where they need to go. So. Yeah. Tax benefits, right? And you get tax benefits. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh 501c3, the whole shebang. And you don't have to go skydiving. Oh, can I go skydiving? Do you want, have you ever been? Uh, my dad was a paratrooper. I feel like I can figure it out. I feel okay. Cool. We'll do it together. We'll go tandem together. Oh my God. I feel like the parachutes have probably improved over that time. Okay. Wait. Jeff said that he would be in the plane. So here's the deal: you and I tandem, not with each other. Bad idea. There, first timers. And especially Jeff, if you're in a spat. <laughs> who's gonna push it? And Jeff will be in the plane. It's a deal. Cool. Okay. One. Uh, one other thing. I have, I have three. Three rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Good. Okay. Have you ever been skydiving? Yeah. Have you ever been Rocky Mountain climbing? Yes. Have you ever been 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu? No. Okay. I like Tim McGraw. That's why I said that. So it's a country song. <laughs> I don't think we can start singing it because no. it's IP. Yeah, I think you would be. Thank you, Shai. You're, you're, you're so fun. You play along so well. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And Aru, no, looking forward so. to the opening, to the grand opening that will not be grand. Yes. <laughs> okay. See you later. Thanks. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thanks. That's yeah. incredible. Thank you. Please. And oh, Ali, thank you for me too. Absolutely. So here's a fun game. Have you ever asked somebody close to you to describe to you exactly what it is that you do? If your experience is anything like ours, you probably get some pretty colorful answers. Maybe an apologetic look or a gaze into the middle distance as they figure out what to say. But it can be a lot of fun, and we thought it would be kind of interesting to introduce our team members like this and have them interview somebody close to them, a family member, a significant other, and ask them exactly that question. Just what is it exactly that we do here? So big thanks to Erin from our marketing team and her partner Justin for being such amazing sports and introducing this segment to y'all. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Justin. What's up? Okay, so I asked you to do this for me mm-hmm. because we have this like running joke at a semio that like nobody knows what we do. So mm-hmm. we recently started a podcast and our idea was to take this like nobody knows what we do because it's complicated and stuff and like make it into a segment. So we have to ask our like family members basically like what they think we do mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. And we'll see how you measure up. If you answer wrong, I lose my job. So. Ooh, stakes are high. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. So first question is the easy one. What do I do? Like, what's like my role at my company? You are on the marketing team. So I am on the marketing team. What you do is, you know, a collective of marketing activities you know writing copy creating banners um 
you know, making advertisements, this, this, such, and just really just like working to meet your client and, uh, or your, your customer. Our clients. Yeah. Yeah. To meet your customer, essentially. That was good. That was yeah. good. You work in marketing too. So I feel like that's cheating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay. But the harder one is, what do you, what does my company do? So what does a SEMIO do? So from my understanding, you're like data security adjacent, like somewhere in that, that, that realm of um, making sure that your information is safe. <laughs> I love that data security adjacent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely care a lot about that. We are like a company that tries to help people share data like across organizations and mm -hmm. organize information well and like make it really easy to like work together on things because your data is like so easily accessible and shareable without like hurting people's privacy too though. Cause that's the thing is like, we talk about it all the time, like crazy stuff about like companies just having access to your data do you hold data does your company hold data no like we never hold on to anybody's data like as an intermediary and that's like part of what protects people's data is that like the process that we use and the technology that we use prioritizes like people keeping their data where it lies and like not having to store it somewhere else that like increases the risk of potential attacks or breaches or et cetera. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm on the marketing team. I can do a lot better than that. SMEO doesn't just share data. We are a data software partner. Whether you're trying to build an entire new data system or share information with another organization or get access to data that's privacy protected or even just use technology in an innovative way to do cool stuff in the social impact space. Whatever it is that your organization is trying to do with your data, SMEO can help with that. You're going to forget in like a month. Oh, I already forgot. Don't worry. <laughs> I literally feel like this is like my Chandler Bing story. Like, I didn't move to Tulsa, but I am working for a company in Tulsa, and like nobody knows what I do. <laughs> but you don't watch Friends either, so it's not really like. Yeah, that kind of went over my head. I've had to tell everybody about this freaking reference, except for Fatima. She's the only one that knows what I'm talking about. So, in closing, I thought it would be really great just to take an opportunity to have a moment of reflection about, you know, what you heard from Jeff, if you had any kind of final takeaways or anything that stood out to you. Yeah, so, so many. Uh, one of the things that stood out, though, to me that continues to resonate is the power of story and the story of us and the, the alignment between where we're physically located and the work that we do in this space and how that resonates out throughout the community. I think that's going to resonate with me for, for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. 
so just a huge thank you to Jeff uh, for joining us today. It was a great conversation and we're honored that he spent the time with us. So for those of you who are interested in learning more about Restore Hope, Sister K, the other organizations that we mentioned, we'll be sure to include some notes in the show notes so you can explore and be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss episode two. Thanks so much for tuning in.